Overflow podcast. We pray that you are encouraged with this message. For more information, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. It says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the visual of the strong tower is a place of refuge. It's where we find safety. It's a place where we find security. We find companionship. We find everything that we need in this strong tower if we feel like that we're all alone. But it says the name of the Lord is. So everything of us finding safety is wrapped up in the identity of Jesus. It's who he is. Everything that you need is found in who he is. It's not about you, your gifting, your your uh, mindset. It's not, a, it's not anything about that. It's a, just about him. And if you can find your identity in him, not necessarily trying to find your own identity. How many know that the world's telling us, oh, you just need to find out who you are. I don't need to find out who Josh Brown is. I need to find out who Jesus is, and he'll show me who I am in him. And then I will find refuge in that. And it says this, that the righteous run to it and are safe. And so we find safety in his identity. We find security in his identity. We find strength in his identity. Well, the righteous, what do they do? They run. This is, this is what we do as the righteous people. We run to him, right? It's what we do. We don't run away from him, right? That's what people do that aren't righteous. They run away from God. But the righteous run to him. But sometimes we don't. Right? Sometimes we don't run to God. Sometimes God tells us to do something and we run the other way. How many of y'all have ever done that before? God said you need to do this and he said right? I'm going, God's saying, come on, come over here. And you're going, "Ah, I know I need to, the struggle's real, but I'm going to go this way instead. How many of y'all been there? I've been there. How many of y'all may have been there this week? (laughs) Right? God's calling you to him. He's saying, would you come? And you're saying, no, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to find my security here. I'm going to find my identity here. I'm going to find my reality here. This is who I am. This is where I'm going. And God's just saying, would you come to me? That's what the righteous do. They run to him. But sometimes we don't. Isn't that the reality? Sometimes you don't. Sometimes I don't. When I think about those that don't really run well to where we're supposed to, I think about a guy named Jonah, right? I mean, here's Jonah. He's righteous, right? He's a righteous guy. He knows the drill. He knows that you're supposed to run to God, not from God. He knows this. He's a a, a man of God. He's a prophet, In fact, his name means dove, right? So he's like, I mean, he's like similar to the Holy Spirit. I mean, he should should be one who represents well if he has that name. Some have called him the reluctant prophet because of his the choices that he has made. But but I want to read from the, the, take you guys back to Sunday school this morning and read from the book of Jonah. You guys with me? And we're all familiar with the story, right? Uh, Jonah chapter 1, I'm going to read chapter, the whole chapter 1. Jonah's only four chapters. And so if you'll just bear with me this morning. It says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. It's Amittai. The son of Amittai. How would y'all like to be the son of Amittai? And everybody pronounce your parents' name, mispronounce your parents' name. We have that with our children. People uh, mispronounce our children's name. And it doesn't matter how many times you correct them, they still get it wrong. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Well, okay. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. 
He went up to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, and he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord. Hoping to escape from the Lord. Hoping to escape from the Lord. I mean, you know, that's a hard thing to do. By sailing to Tarshish, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm and threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. Hmm. So the captain went down after him. How can you be asleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which one of them had have offended their gods and caused the terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Hate it when that happens. Why is this awful storm coming down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Who are you? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for they had already, he had already told them that he was running for the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh! It says they groaned. Oh! Why did you do it? So the storm was getting worse all the time. They asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Well, throw me in the sea, Jonah said, and it'll become calm again. I don't care if I die. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. Mm, The prophet tells the truth. Instead, the trailers rode even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent. Notice how they were still nice to Jonah. Let's just row harder. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, do not make us die for this man's sin and do not hold us responsible for his death, O Lord. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reason. Let, let me just say this real quick. We teach this in children's. This is this, the story of Jonah and Nineveh and the well and all this. It, it really isn't a nice. It, it isn't G-rated. It's really not. Just you know, you could read it in one setting. I would encourage you to read the whole story tonight. Uh, so it says, then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Isn't that awesome? Now, the Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, the Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Gross. So we know the story, right? Jonah's in the fish. The next chapter, chapter 2, is a prayer that Jonah prayed when he was thrown from the ship. And in this, Jonah talks about how that he didn't just, they just didn't throw him out and then the fish grabbed him immediately. He actually said that he was wrapped in seaweed, that he was at the bottom of the sea. So Jonah was drowning, dying, but God provided a fish. And so this fish comes and grabs him, and he's in the, the belly of the fish for three days, uh, which is, you know, it's strange, but there's stranger things in Scripture. And so he's in this fish for three days, and then in that situation, he cried out to the Lord, and he said, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And so the fish vomits him up on the land, right? 
That's what happens sometimes when fish swallow people. <laughs> so they <laughs> vomits him up on the land, and Jonah then decides to go to Nineveh and do what God had told him initially to do. How many know that he probably could have avoided a lot of things if he would have just obeyed in the first place? And so he, he ends up going to this city called Nineveh, and he preaches God's judgment. The people repent. It's, it's a major city. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. The people repent. 120,000 people at minimum lived in this city. All the people call out to God. God saves them, delivers them from the judgment. And the, 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 they, have, they experience one of the greatest revivals that we see in Scripture. Now, just like Jonah, we all have pivotal moments in our life, right? The word of the Lord comes. It's a message. It's a revelation. It's a Scripture we read. God comes and he speaks to us. He puts something on our heart. He says something. And those pivotal moments, it's important for us to understand or important for us to do or pay attention to what we're about to do. What are you going to do when the word of the Lord comes? Let me ask you this. What are you going to do when the word of the Lord comes and tells you to do something you don't want to do? Because we live in an age in the church where it's just God's only going to tell you what you want to do. How many of you know that that's not always the case? <laughs> We know that God is going to call you to love somebody that you would have the tendency to hate. Let's talk about Jonah real quick. Why did Jonah run? I mean, he decides he loves God. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And we're like, what's the big deal? Why don't you just go, Jonah? You save yourself a lot of trouble. Tarshish at that time was as far as you could go from Nineveh, 2,500 miles. Could have taken you a year to travel there. He was leaving and never planning on coming back. Right? Running from God. So why did he run? Was he rebellious? I, I, I don't think Jonah was rebellious. I think he had a good heart. Right? He probably meant well. So no, I don't think he was rebellious. Was he afraid? Possibly he was afraid. Nineveh's reputation, you know, Nineveh was the largest, uh, was, was Israel's greatest enemy and the capital of the Assyrian Empire. They would take over cities. They would rape women and children. Uh, the men, they would take them out sometimes. They, it was actually referred to as the blood city. They were so brutal, they would take men out to the desert, drive a stake through their tongue in the middle of the desert after they buried them, drive a stake to their tongue until they went insane, and then they would behead them, and they would take their heads and build pyramids out of it. You can read about this. It's just common history. They were sick people. They were a very sadistic, immoral. They were idolaters. They were a heathen nation. They deserved to be hated. They deserved to be hated by God. They deserved to be hated by Jonah. But that wasn't why Jonah didn't want to go there. He didn't want to go. It wasn't because he was afraid of them. In fact, Scripture actually tells us why Jonah didn't want to go there. It says this, that he was angry. Jonah chapter 4. Listen, he knew that declaring judgment over Nineveh was actually grace in action towards a nation 
that deserve no mercy. That God was paying attention. That God was paying attention to a nation that would be so sadistic. Jonah knew how good God was. And he knew that if he declared God's judgment, that they might repent. And he didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to serve God. He wanted them to die and go to hell where they deserve to go. That's what he wanted. So this is why he says. And listen, he stayed mad about it. He went and preached. They all got saved. And he was still mad. Isn't it funny? I mean, you would think, I mean, this guy's a revivalist. I mean, Jonah is a revivalist. He was disobeying God. They threw him off the boat, and then everybody that was on the boat got saved. Well, then he goes to a people he hates, says what God says, and everybody gets saved. He's a revivalist. You would think that he would be a little bit more happy than this. I mean, they all got saved. Now they're right with God. No. He's not okay with it because he probably knew people in cities that got killed, that got murdered. He had a secondary offense, right? He was offended, rightfully so. Check this out, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. This is after they repent. He comes and declares God's judgment. They repent. They all turn to God. It says, this changed the plans. You guys got to understand, this is like Hitler getting saved, the Hitler empire, the Nazis getting saved. This, is, this would be the equivalent in this day. Come on. This would be like ISIS. This would be like Planned Parenthood turning around and following God, obeying God. This is the enormity of this nation getting saved. So it says this, this changed the plans, uh, this change of plans, God deciding to have mercy on them, greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Did not say before I left home that you would do this, Lord. Have you ever been like that with God? God, I knew this would happen. That's why I didn't want to do it, Lord. I, I knew this would happen. How many of you ever been like that with God? I know that I've been like, God, you know what's going to happen if I do this? He's like, yeah, I, I, I know. We know nothing's ever occurred to God. Never cut in. God, God, God doesn't get surprised. He's not like, oh, I didn't think that would happen. Right? Didn't I say before I left home you would do this? This is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. I knew you, God, that you were merciful. That's why I didn't want to say anything to him. That's why I wanted to declare. I didn't want him to follow you, God. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So he is upset that God had mercy on someone that he hated. In fact, if you re- continue reading the story of Jonah, you'll, you'll see that he actually kind of had this battle with God in uh, Jonah chapter 4. We're not going to get in that today. With Nineveh, God was teaching Jonah something. He, first of all, he is reaching the people of Nineveh whom he loved. Even though he was declaring judgment on them, God still loved them. The only reason why God was declaring judgment over Nineveh is to draw them back. See, judgment, it never ends there. There's always a purpose of judgment. Anytime God brings judgment, it's because he wants their heart. Judgment isn't an act of anger and hate. It's actually an act of love. 
God's saying, I want you enough to this is, this is what's going to happen if you continue in your way. Sin bears within itself punishment. You keep going like this, judgment's going to fall. It's just what happens. But I'm telling you it's going to happen because I want you. Okay? It gives you a little bit of different perspective on the judgment of God. So we're not really talking about the judgment of God today. But God was teaching Jonah about his goodness through this city. God was saying, Jonah, I'm really good. I mean, who would think it that God would have mercy on a nation like that? Why would God have mercy on such a pagan, immoral, Hitler-esque society? Why would God have mercy on a nation like that? Right? Judgment! Justice! What happens? The people repent, and God has mercy. I want to talk this morning about taking refuge in obedience. Taking refuge in what God has called us to do. Because God is going to call you to do things that you don't want to do. What I've found is sometimes when we say yes to it, sometimes the yes comes first, the response comes first, and then my heart follows that. Because God wants my willingness Let me know that God doesn't just want you to be miserable the rest of your life serving him. He wants your willingness, but sometimes you've got to, because God's created you to do that, you might not know that yet, and sometimes you have to expose yourself, and then your heart will follow. How many know you've got to lead your heart sometimes? Come on, you don't follow your heart. I see those little signs everywhere. You don't follow your heart. No, 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 no. You lead your heart. Your heart's wicked. Right? You lead your heart. You don't follow it. Now, so let's talk about this. Number one, so we're going to talk about taking refuge in obedience. Refuge. First of all, disobedience is personal. Now, notice when God told Jonah to do something, he didn't just not do that. It actually, scripture actually says that he ran from God. Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Disobedience is personal. When we disobey God, we're saying that we know better than he does and that our way is better. When God tells you to do something that you refuse to do, you're saying, I know better than God. My way is better, God. I don't need to do what you're calling me to do. I've got a better plan. God, you got a plan? I got a better one. That's what we say when we disobey. God's got a plan, but mine's a little better. So I'll do this. I think I know what's best for my life. Right? Disobedience. That's what it is. It's personal. Again, God will often call us times to do things that are inconvenient. And we seem to think when it happens like that, we seem to blame things like our personality, our temperament, our even our calling, we'll say, our desires. I could never do that. God would never call me to do that. And it seems like that we think it's okay to ignore God when he asks us to do something that's against our nature. But that's not really following the way of Jesus, is it? I mean, didn't Jesus do something that he really didn't want to do? I mean, he wanted to do it, but he didn't want to do it. Remember Jesus praying? Remember Jesus sweating great drops of blood? The willingness was there, right? Lord, don't. 
Don't make me do it. But I'll do it. Right? And so sometimes we've got to step out and do the things that are most difficult. Go to places and do the things that are contrary to personality. Things that we're afraid of doing. Loving people that we have the tendency to hate. And listen, maybe someone has wronged you. Maybe they're undeserving. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe they hurt someone close to you. God calls you to love them. God calls you to serve them. God calls you to show them Jesus. See, God wants your love-filled obedience. He wants your heart to be in it. How many of you are with me with that? He wants your heart to be in it. But can I tell you that sometimes God's going to call you to do something, and your heart's not going to be in it at the beginning. Sometimes you've got to start doing it, and then your heart follows. And then your heart gets in it. You're like, oh, when God called us to plant this church, I never, ever wanted to plant a church. Never. You're out of your mind. I don't want to do that. Heck no. So when we felt like God called us to plant this church, it wasn't like, yes, Lord. Yeah, we'll go, Lord. We'll go anywhere you send us, Lord. Yeah, we love you. We're going to go. We're going to go. He's like, go plant a church. I'm like, okay. And I'm dead serious. That's exactly the way it was. But as we surrendered that, as we surrendered that unwillingness, God put the willingness in us. And then we became excited about it, and we became fervent about it, and we became passionate about it. All those things followed. God wants your love-filled obedience, but sometimes the only way to get there is to place your love for Jesus as the focal point. I don't love this, but I love you. I don't love them, right, if we're being straight. I love them. I just don't like them. That's a lie. You can't, you can't love and not like. That don't work. I know that that sounds really good in your journal. I know that sounds really good in our conversation. I love them. I just don't like them. You need an attitude adjustment. That's what you need. You need to pray. You need to see them the way you think. That's the way God feels about them. You think that's what he meant? Right? Well, I have my reasons. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you have tons of reasons. 1 John 5, 3, one of my life verses, loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commands are not a burdensome. They're not burdensome. They are not a burden. Oh, God, I love them. Right? Uh, because I love you, God, I'll do it. And you say that to people. Well, I don't love it, but God told me to do it. Well, you better get your heart in there. Right? So sometimes we have to do things because we love God. Not because we love what he's calling us to do. Some of you, God's calling to a fast right now, to social media or something. And you don't want to do that. But because you love God, you're going to do it. Right? So when we disobey God, it's personal. It's personal. The little things, it's personal. You know you really shouldn't do that. Right? Or God's just like straight up, don't do it. And you're like, well, this is the way I am. It's personal. So you're better at running your life than God is. Essentially, that's what we're saying when we disobey. Okay? Bear with me. I'm a grace-filled man. All right. So disobedience is personal. Secondly, obedience is always the best choice. Obedience is always the best choice. Always. You can never go wrong obeying God. Um. And let me just say this. We're talking about refuge. Obedience to God is really the safest place. It might not seem like the safest place. I mean, they may cut your head off for serving God. 
right? We're seeing this in the world. Physically, and what, with, with the eyes of the world, it might not seem like the safest place, but it is because you're in obedience and God's got it. See, somebody might have told you or you may have assumed that the Christian life is easy peasy and that you'll never face trials, difficulties, hardships, the daisies and cookie fellowships. That's just simply not the case. The fact is, is he is our refuge indicates that we need a refuge, that we will need a place to run to, that we will need a place to go and hide. We only need safety if there is a threat. Obedience is always safer than the alternative. He could have went to Nineveh. Right? Wouldn't have been very safe. But what happened when he went the other direction? That wasn't very safe either. I'm going to leave this right here. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do any more to you after that. But I tell you who to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to hear. To fear. I'll just leave that right there. Right? Those are those verses you wanted to take out of your Bible. Right? The reality is that some difficulty we bring on ourselves. A lot of difficulty we bring on ourselves. Although God brought the storm, Jonah caused it. In fact, the storm was really God just saying, I don't want you here. So God caused it. God, God brought the storm, but Jonah actually caused it. Uh, verse 12 says, I know this terrible storm is all my fault. It wasn't God's fault. How many times do we blame God for stupid decisions that we've made? We get ourselves in a mess and we go, God, why did you do this to me? And he's going, because I called you to go over here and you chose to go here instead. And this way there's storms. And this way there's fish that you'll have to live in for a season. But if you'll just go over here, it might be hard, it might be difficult, but this way is more difficult. It's more harder. <laughs> right? It's more difficult. So not every difficult situation is caused by God. However, I believe God can use any difficult situation. Come on, isn't that the beauty of redemption? The storm was not to put Jonah away, but to provide an opportunity for obedience. So why did God put the storm there? So that he could get Jonah to just obey. Because it wasn't just about Jonah. It was a city of 120,000 that needed to be saved. Lest you forget, your obedience is important. Stay with me. Number three. Now this is where we'll get a lot of shouts today because y'all been quiet. Number three, God is patient when we are immature. God is patient when you're immature. How many of y'all, you're just sometimes you're immature, right? You're irresponsible. That's the way I measure maturity is by responsibility. How responsible are you? Oh. How responsible are you with the word of the Lord when it comes? See, sometimes we wait till we're ready. We call that timing. God still calls it disobedience. See, delayed obedience is not obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. 
God says, I want you to do this now. Okay, Lord. I want you to wake up every morning for 30 minutes and spend time with me. It's the word of the Lord to you. Well, Lord, I'm just not a morning person. Oh. Hey, I'm not a morning person. Not a morning person. That's why I had to start getting up like early, early, like six, so I don't have to be around anybody for like two hours. Right? Not a morning person, but I'm learning to be one. Right? Oh. There's a, a book out there this guy named Aaron McManus wrote, and he he talks about this concept called lag time. And he says that it's it's the mark of maturity. And what he says is that you can tell a maturity of a person between the distance of the command of God and the obedience. See, your maturity is determined by how quick do you respond to what God's saying. That's not saying that God won't tell you you're going to do this in five years. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the now word when God speaks to you. The vision awaits a point in time. However, obedience is always now. What are you doing now to prepare for the five-year thing that God showed you? So you can't obey that word now. It just looks different now than it will look in five years. How mature are you to steward the word of the Lord? This is what we do. God comes, he speaks to us. We don't like it, so we go, God, what are you saying? No, I don't like that one. I mean, I'm just really praying that the Lord would just come, and God's just like, who are you waiting? I already talked to you. I just can't hear the Lord. I just, I don't know what God wants me to do. What was the last thing God told you to do? Oh, yeah. Did you do that? No, I'm just waiting to hear from the Lord. Sucker. Lord, what do you have for me in Tarshish? Nothing. <laughs> Lord, what do you have for me on the way to Tarshish? A storm. A fat fish. It's fixing to be fatter. Right? Lord, what do you have? What do you have for me, Lord? Nineveh. I don't want that. Is there a, is there a B option on the menu? Is there another side? Where's... Oh, that's the menu. We do that with our kids sometimes. We're like, okay, these are the choices, one, two. And they're like, three or four. I'm like, no, 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 these are the one or two. Right? No, 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 none of that. This is the option. With God, there's just the A. A B, a C, a D, a Z. Still disobedience. But God is patient. So God, just like Jonah, had some growing up to do. He had to do a lot of that growing up in the belly of a fish. Very uncomfortable place, I might add. I'll tell you what, one thing will grow you up real quick. Stinky, uncomfortable, cramped places will grow you up real quick. I've had to go through some of those seasons. Right? You've got to go through some of those seasons. What's happening? You're growing up. I rolled over to Leslie the other day. You know, we see Leslie on Facebook or something. I was like, I don't want an adult today. And she's like, what would you say? I was like, nothing. <laughs> right? I don't want to grow up. 
I'm a Toys R Us kid. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to grow up. I don't, I don't want to be responsible. Well, we serve a God who is patient. And even in our disobedience, here's Jonah. He gets thrown into the sea to die. But the story doesn't end there. Because it says this, that God provided a great fish, verse 17. God, ev- God brought the refuge to Jonah. He was going to die, and God said, no, not this time. I want him to obey me more than I want him dead. I want relationship with him more than I want him drowning at the sea, and that to be his reputation. So God prepared a fish in his immaturity. God prepared something that was uncomfortable, that was difficult, out of his goodness. Listen, the fish was not God's judgment. The fish was not God's anger. It was his mercy. Sometimes God will provide refuge even in our disobedience to preserve us for his purpose. This is how big Nineveh was to God. And Jonah. (laughs) Disobey, smack. God had every right. He's God. He do what he do. He don't have to explain himself to nobody. He don't need to check in with you and make sure it's okay. Or somebody else who thinks that God's whatever. That's fine. You can make those accusations all day long. We don't change anything. He's God. He had every right just to, all right, Jonah, see you. Drown in the sea. Ah, prepared a fish for you. Grow up, boy. Right? <laughs> Listen, when God has a purpose for you, he will provide a refuge to preserve you for it. It is saving you for you, but it's really saving you for him. He could have found another prophet, but he didn't want to. He wanted Jonah. Number four leads us to our next point. Number four, it's not too late to run back to God. It's not too late. It's not too late. I mean, here's Jonah. I know Jonah was thinking, I'm just going to die. That's what he said, right? He said, I'm going to just throw me into the sea. I'll die and it'll be over. God's like, "Uh uh-uh, not done. I don't know if, like, God created that fish. Say God prepared that fish. I don't know if that fish was already there. I don't know if it was a special kind of fish that God only created for that. But I don't know anything about the fish. It's not a fish, it's a whale. It's a, well, it's a fish. It's a whale. I don't know what it is. The Greek says this, and the Hebrew says, oh, oh, great. Why don't you just focus on that? That'll really help you. <laughs> right? What the hell was it a fish? Or was it a whale? Or was it a fish whale? Right? What was it? I don't know. I'll let you spend time studying that. I, I found myself finding more important things to figure out than that. And bigger bigger fish to fry. Don't. All right. Okay. <laughs> it's all, folks. All right. Listen. I'm sure Jonah was thinking that this is how it ends. But God said, I want to give him a second chance. That situation may be difficult. It may be hard work. Listen, as long as you're breathing, there's an opportunity to respond to what God is asking of you. 
If there wasn't, then God just would have took you out when you disobeyed. Yeah, you disobeyed. Peace. Come on up to heaven. I'll let you in because of Jesus. Find somebody else to do what I wanted to do through you. No. If you're breathing, you still have a chance. Isn't it beautiful? God's the God of second chance. That's a lie. God's not the God of the second chance. God is the God of the ten billionth chance. Because as long as you're breathing, you got another chance. You have a chance to respond. He's not the God of the second chance. He's the God of the third, fourth, and fifth billionth chance. Because he's a God of grace and he's slow to anger, just like Jonah had said. And sometimes by his grace, God will put us in these uncomfortable situations so we can be set in the right path. This is really a story. We look at the story of Jonah and we think, well, what is this story about? Is it about a fish? It's a story about grace. It's a story about grace. It's about the grace of God for a disobedient son. And it's the grace of God for an evil, wicked, vile city. It's all about the grace of God. Let me just say this about grace. Grace grace doesn't eliminate the need for obedience. It provides the opportunity for it. So your obedience is important. Your obedience is valuable. However, when you're disobedient, and when you blow it, or when we blow it, it's crucial to remember that we all fall short, we all disobey. We all, at the end of the day, what's most important is not that we sit around and we scrutinize our life and go, man, I should have went to Nineveh. Man, I should have told that guy about Jesus. Because what happens, we start living with regret. We start living with shame. We start feeling unworthy. We start feeling disappointed. Man, I should have done it. If I would have done this differently, if I would have obeyed God here, if I would have obeyed all those things would have happened. Don't focus on that. You're where you are. And you thinking negative about the past isn't going to help you get to where you're supposed to be. The only thing that is going to get you there is to set your mind straight on Jesus. I love this scripture, and we're closing here. At the end of the day, when you blew it, when you, when you blew it today, when you blew it, I blew it today. <laughs> Even when I said that, I blew it. When you blew it today, when you blew it yesterday, at the end of the day, it's not important for you to sit around and keep your track record of how many times you screwed up this week or last year or 10 years ago or about the mistakes that you made that were unthinkable that you're afraid to tell anybody about. It's not important for you to dwell on your disobedience. It's important for you to remember this. is Romans 5.19. It says, just through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man that the many may be made righteous. So at the end of the day, your obedience is valuable. It's important. It's crucial. But it is not the focal point of your life. The focal point of your life is the obedience of Jesus. You are not made righteous by what you obey. You're made righteous because Jesus obeyed and because of that you're able to run to him in difficulty and when you're trapped in the belly of a well or drowning at the bottom of the sea god is saying come to me run to me
I've provided a way. Would you just cry out to me?